The following sermon is brought to you by Capital Community Church, located in Raleigh, North Carolina. Capital Community Church is a people awakened to a holy God. If you are searching for a new church home, or from out of town looking for a church to worship with, or simply seeking for answers, please join us for worship at 1045 a.m. every Sunday morning and 6 o'clock p.m. for our evening service. If you have any questions, please email us at info at We pray this sermon will help you grow deeper in your walk with Jesus Christ. I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 36. This is a statement that our Lord makes going back and forth with Pharisees, with Jews who profess to believe in him. This is what our Lord says. It's one of those great statements in John's gospel that encompasses really the entirety of the Christian message. It's, it's a, a remarkable grouping of 12 words. Jesus says, John 8, 36, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Remarkable, amazing words. Look at that word free. Jesus uses it several times. It's the Greek word eleutheros. It describes somebody who wasn't a slave, somebody who was a free man, somebody who was unbound, somebody that had, as we would say as Americans, liberty. Liberty. Uh, liberty is the capacity to do what you want when you want to do it. It describes somebody who is not politically or socially enslaved. And as Americans, I think we've experienced in this country untold an exceptional political and social liberty that has been, quite frankly, unparalleled in human history. Unparalleled. We appreciate liberty. This country was founded on the idea of liberty. This is what our founding fathers loved, they cherished, they wanted to be free men. Patrick Henry, this is during the, the, the revolution, said this, March 23rd, 1775. He says, is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. In other words, I'd rather live, I'd rather not live than live as a slave. I'd rather not live than to live in chains. Uh, General George Washington said this a little over a year later. He said, quote, let us therefore animate and encourage each other and show the whole world that a free man contending for liberty on his own ground is superior to any slavish mercenary on earth, talking about the German Hessians that they fought. He said, look, we fight as free men. You, the world will see us fighting as free men and, and, and step back in, in awe at how we fight. And as someone who served our country in the armed services, I fought with people and I know people who died to preserve those liberties. We have fought tyranny on nearly every continent on this world. As Americans, we fought communism 
and those that would enslave others, those like the Germans who would destroy others, and we were the ones who went and liberated those concentration camps. Americans were the ones across the world who said we need to fight for liberty because we know how great it is and we need to preserve this liberty across the globe. That has been uh, the history of America, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is not talking about political liberty, nor is he talking about economic liberty. He's talking about something much more important, something much higher, something much deeper. He's talking about spiritual liberty. And he's talking about spiritual bondage. There is something that is far worse than political tyranny. Did you know that? There's something far worse than political tyranny. And it's spiritual slavery, spiritual bondage. And that is exactly what Jesus is talking about. He's referencing the need to be freed from the bondage of sin. Just look at our country today. We're the most free people. Look at our freedoms. But then look at our morals. Look at our ethics. Despite all the liberties we have, there's still murder. There's still adultery. There's still abortion in this state. There's still theft. There's still blasphemies against God. We have all the political and social freedom in the world. But when you look out on the landscape, when you turn on the nightly news, what you see is that man is in slavery to his own sin. Martin Lloyd-Jones came, he, he was here in America on July 20th, 1969. You know what happened on July 20th, 1969? It's the day we landed on the moon. He said, the next day I woke up at the hotel and I went and got the, the newspaper um, down in the lobby and I opened it up and there on the, the top of the page was Neil Armstrong, pictures of them, quotations, the article, everything, lunar landing. On the bottom of the page was a picture of Teddy Kennedy's car in the Chappaquiddick. And Lloyd-Jones said this, he said, that is the irony of modern man. You have a man on the moon reaching to the heavens, and at the same time, you have hell on the earth. That's who we are. That's who we are. Look what Jesus says in, in John 8 to, to these Jews. Um, verse 34, he answers the Jews. He says, truly, truly, that's amen. This is a, this is a fact. <laughs> Listen carefully. I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The word he uses for slave is the opposite of eleutheros. Eleutheros means free man. This word is doulos. It means that you are owned. It means that you are bound. He says if you make a practice of doing sin, if somebody makes a practice, you do this repeatedly, then you are in slavery to that sin, that it owns you, that it dominates you, that it, that it reigns over you. And that is precisely what Jesus is addressing. I want you to see this this morning, this statement, this one statement in, in, in verse 36 from three angles. First, from the angle of slavery, second, the angle of redemption, and third, the angle of liberty. So let's look at it first from the, the first angle, the greatest slavery, the angle of slavery. Jesus says, 
Verse 34 again, I emphasize, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Look at that word sin. Look at that word sin, three-letter word, hardly understood in our culture, read past, glossed over. What does it mean? What does sin mean? Is it a mess up? Is it a psychological boo-boo that you made? What is sin? The, the word is hamartia. I went back and I, and I looked it up in the Greek lexicons this week because I wanted to be sure of exactly what it means. And it meant this, an offense against a deity. Sin is primarily vertical. When you sin, it's an offense against a deity, the God who made you. It's sinning against him. R.C. Sproul used these words. He said, sin is cosmic treason against God. Cosmic treason against God. You know what a traitor is? You don't want to be a traitor. You don't want your name to go down as the one who betrayed the loyalties of the people around you. Do you remember that, uh, that battle at Thermopylae? where the Spartans went out. There were 300 Spartans under Leonidas, and they fought the Persians, and they stood their ground, and the, you know, the, the, the Greek phalanx held, and the Persians were, were, were pushed back. Do you remember how the Persians got around them? One of their own countrymen, one of the Greeks, told them about a little goat trail that went around and came in behind. He betrayed them, and that's how they lost You don't want to be a traitor, but yet that is exactly what sin is. Sin, and we need to understand this. Sin is primarily about you betraying God, you sinning against God. John says, 1 John 3, 4, everyone who makes a practice of sin also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Who's loss? God's loss. When you sin, you're breaking God's laws. So I want to talk about this slavery from, from, from three vantage points. The first is the presence of sin. The presence of sin. This entire world is filled with lawlessness and sin. First John 5, 19 says, we know that the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to see this, that our world is broken and in sin. Every day you see the brokenness of the world. When I was in the Marine Corps, we studied the history of warfare. And in the 20th century, the 20th century alone, I'm not talking about any other centuries, in the 20th century, over 231 million people died in wars, both combatants and civilians, 231 million people. You see the number of babies that have been aborted since the 1960s with Roe v. Wade, which is still right here. I drive by past the clinics every single day. One's right by my house. And you see this, this presence of sin. I was talking to my parents recently. They live down in Houston. They said, in Houston, you can't even leave your garage door open anymore because people just come in and steal your stuff. The theft is so bad. I saw a picture this week. It was a remarkable picture. It, it was a picture of JFK the morning of his assassination. And in this picture, he's, they, they took him to the Fort Worth stockyards. And he's sitting there, and he's just surrounded by thousands of people. 
and, and you can see everybody's facial expressions in the picture, and they're reaching towards him, and some are shaking their hands, and girls are, are, are looking mesmerized at him, and, and, and it's just this remarkable picture knowing that he's about to go get in his car, drive over to Dallas, buy the, the book depository building where Lee Harvey Oswald is waiting with a rifle. This world, everywhere you look, is filled with evil in the presence of sin. We know this. Also, we need to know the power of sin. The power of sin. It's not just outside of us, it's inside of us. It's internalized. This is what Jesus means when he says we're, it makes us its slave. It controls us. It makes, its, makes us do its bidding owns us like a taskmaster. Paul said in Romans 6.16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient, do losses as slaves. You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. You understand this principle, what he's saying? He's saying that, that sin in the soul makes you do what it wants you to do. This is what modern man does not understand. Modern man does not understand that we are fallen in Adam. And that's why evil exists in the world. Because we are evil on the inside. We sin. Let me, let me just flesh this out with a, with a couple examples. Let's take, for example, this, the, this whole thing of gender identity and same-sex attraction, or homosexuality, whatever you want to call it. I was doing some study on this, and, and the largest study that's been done on specifically homosexuality was done in 2019, a massive study of over 500,000 people. And the leader of that study was a woman, a scientist named Andrea Ghana, See what she was a she is a geneticist from MIT, Harvard, so on and so forth. And at the end of the study, here's what she said, quote, There is no gay gene. There is no gay gene. There is no gene that says, Oh, well, you're gonna grow up and, and you're born biologically a male, and then you're gonna think that you're biologically a female. There's no gene. There, there's not. You're not born gay biologically. But yet you talk to psychologists and people who, who study those that are homosexual. What do they say? They say, well, they can't choose it. They were what? What do they say? Born this way. Well, in a sense, they're right. But they don't understand it. Because the problem isn't biological, it's where? It's spiritual. That that sin owns you on the inside. So the experience of it is what? I don't have a choice. I'm a slave. I have to do its bidding. This is what I want to do. This is what I desire to do. And our world doesn't understand it. We're looking for answers. Is it biological? Is it, what is it? No, it's spiritual. It's spiritual slavery. It's not just homosexuality. 
It's every sin. Every sin. I, I, I saw this, uh, this chart about an, an actor in Hollywood. And this actor has had 13 girlfriends. And every one of them he dumps basically at the age of 25. There's something about the age of 25 where they are biologically unfit for him. That's messed up. It is. That's, but what is that? I mean, he's free. He's making these decisions, but what is it? Spiritually speaking, there's something messed up there. And if we're honest with ourselves, if you're honest with yourself, there's something messed up here. There's something messed up here. I want to show you this. This is, this is what Paul says. Turn, turn to the right, to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. I believe that this is Paul describing his experience before he came to know Christ. In, in Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 15. Actually, let's pick it up in 14, because he, he's going to describe, I think, this experience of spiritual slavery. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. Look at this, sold under sin. I'm in bondage to my sin. Verse 15, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Have you ever done that? You said, I will not do that. I will not do that ever again. And then what do you do? <laughs> you do it. Why? Because you're in bondage to your sin. Now, if I do what I do not want, look, this is, this is Paul had a, a brilliant mind. He had a, a logical mind. He said, what, when you do that, you're actually saying that the law is good. Because you're saying, I should be doing this, but I'm not doing it, but I know that that's the right thing, but I, I do the wrong thing anyway. I agree with the law that it, that it is good, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Obviously, he's doing the sin, but he's saying it's the bondage to sin that is causing him to carry out the deeds of the flesh. Verse 18, look at this. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Have you experienced that? That is the human condition in Adam. You are in bondage to sin from birth. You keep doing the things that you don't want to do, even though you know that they are wrong. I talk to people all the time. They said, they just, I just can't keep doing this. I keep doing this, but I don't know how to stop. And oftentimes, you know what the issue is? It's very simple. They're not yet a Christian, and they're still enslaved to their sin. So that's, that's the power of sin. And now I want to show you one, one other thing about this slavery and that's the penalty of sin, the penalty of sin. Uh, turn over just to the left to Romans chapter 6, verse 23. This is a really important verse. Romans 6, 23. Romans 6, 23. 
Paul says the wages of sin. A wage is what you get for doing a job. The, what you get from sin, Paul says, is death. The wage of sin is death. When you sin, what you deserve because of that cosmic treason against God is death. Both physical death and spiritual death. That's why death feels so unnatural. God did not design us to die. So when you're in the funeral parlor and you're looking at your loved one lying there in that casket, it feels unnatural because it is unnatural. Death is the penalty for sin. But moreover, it's not just physical death. It's not just physical death. And I want you to listen to me very carefully here this morning because I'm about to tell you something that nobody else will tell you. It's also spiritual death. That if you die in your sin, as Jesus warns these Pharisees, there is a literal hell. And there is a literal lake of fire that awaits sinners after the final judgment. There is a literal devil. There is a literal hell. Jesus warned people about this with tears in his eyes again and again and again and again. Jesus spoke about hell almost more than he spoke about anything else, and people would not listen. So I pray that you would listen to me this morning. Listen. Listen to the words of our Lord. This is what he says, Matthew 25. He says, then he, talking about himself, will say to those on his left, he said, at the end of the age, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire. You hear that? The eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then in verse 46, he says, And these will go away into eternal punishment. Did you hear that? This is what our Lord says. This is the reality at the end of the universe, that there is a literal hell, and that is the penalty for sin. And how long does it last? Is it annihilationism where you get burned up and it's over just like that? Ah, he says it's eternal. It's an eternal hell. After one million lifetimes spent in hell, you will have no less days to serve. I once heard a preacher say this. It was one of the most terrifying things I've ever heard said. He said, the eternity of hell is like this. He said, it's like having a big granite mountain, huge Himalayan mountain. And every hundred years, an eagle flies by that mountain and clips that mountain with the tip of its wing. And the length of hell is the length of time it takes that eagle to wear that mountain into the ground. It's forever. That's Jesus' point. You remember Lazarus. Jesus told the story of this rich man named Lazarus who was in hell. What was his response? Let me go back and warn my brothers, my family, I'll tell everybody to get right with God now because I don't want them to endure what I'm enduring right now. It's real. And Jesus warned us. 
And that's the penalty of our sin. Now, seems like all bad news, but this is where the good news comes in. This is where, this is where the power of what Jesus is saying uh, resonates. So uh, turn back to, to John 8, and I just want you to see the, the glory of this truth that Jesus is talking about, that if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. That the Son came. This, this is what gives light to why Jesus came to this earth. Jesus came on a rescue mission. Jesus came on a redemption mission. John 3.16. This is, this is the Castleberry family verse. John 3.16. It's on all of our headstones. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God gave his son. You see, God didn't just leave us under the, the penalty of sin to endure in eternity in hell, but God sent his son because he loved the world. He sent his son on a rescue mission. And what the, what, if you study the ministry of Christ, what he does is he undoes all of our mess-ups. He comes down into the presence of sin. That's what the incarnation was about. It was about the one who was sinless coming down into the presence of sin. Romans 8, 3, Paul says, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. So he sent his son, the eternal son of God, truly God from the very beginning into this world to take on our humanity and and Jesus came into this world, it was a cold, dark, sinful world. It was a, a miserable world, a miserable world of sin, of evil. Do you remember Herod the Great tried to kill all the other babies that were born at the same time? It was, it was a bloody world that he was sent into. But Jesus humbled himself. This is Paul's point in Philippians 2, 6. He says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus came into this world where there's all this sin and evil. And you know what? He didn't run away from it. He didn't want to run away from it. I was over in Greece, and I saw these caves in Metoria where these, these, uh, these priests said, we're just going to, this world is so evil, we just need to get away. We just need to go live up in the caves and, and, and live these monastic lives. It's not what Jesus did. Jesus marched to the center of where the evil was, and he said, you crucify me. And the most evil act ever committed was committed against him. That's what our Lord did. Is, is he faced evil head on? And he told his disciples, this, this, I find this so remarkable about in the Gospels, as Jesus gathers the disciples around and over and over and over again, he says the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem where he will be beaten, crucified, but three days later he will rise again. Have you seen that? He, he was facing the evil head on. But more than that, he also demonstrated power over sin power over sin. He lived a perfect life. Jesus took on her, our humanity, and he defeated sin. He was never enslaved. 
Writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Do you remember, after he was baptized by John the Baptist, he went into the wilderness, he fasted for 40 days, and Satan came and tempted him. First temptation was what? Food and physical needs. He said, look, you're hungry. Jesus, turn this rock into bread. And Jesus said, Satan, man cannot live on bread alone, but on the very words that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then Satan says, let's go to the pinnacle of the temple. It was a temptation towards spiritual pride. And Jesus, you jump down from the top of the temple, and God will command his angels concerning you to pick you up. And, and, and the idea was this, is that when Jesus would do that, all the world would see it. It would be a demonstration of his, his, of his glory, and, and people would be in awe of him. It was a temptation towards spiritual pride, and Jesus looked at the devil and said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then the devil took him to a high mountain and said, look out and see the kingdoms of the world, see their power, their pleasure, see all that it offers, and I offer it to you if you will but bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, haven't you not read that you shall worship the Lord only, in him only you shall serve. So Jesus faced the tempter head on. People sinned against him at every step, and yet he did it all without sin. And then finally, he faced the penalty of our sin. That's what the cross is about. The cross is about the penalty of our sin. It wasn't just a good example to show us how to live of how to love, of how to serve. When Jesus went on the cross, God the Father poured on him the wrath, the punishment that would take us in eternity in hell to pay. Do you remember, how many hours was Jesus on the cross? Six hours. 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. At about 12 noon, really crazy things started to happen. There was an earthquake. The sky went black, dark. People couldn't see. Saints started coming up out of the graves. And Jesus, his final word, John records in John 19, Jesus' final word was this, to telestai. And it means paid in full. What was paid in full? The debt that you owe to God for your sin. Jesus says that debt is paid in full. And then John records something really interesting. He says Jesus bowed his head and breathed his last. That's interesting because it means that that Jesus gave up his life. Normally when people die, they give their last breath, and then their head goes down after they're dead. But Jesus put his head down, and then gave up his spirit. He gave his life. He paid the debt. He paid the penalty. You see how God's provided a provision for sin that you don't have to face in eternity in hell? This is what our Lord has done. It's remarkable. This is what Paul says, Galatians 3.13. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. 
1 Timothy 2.5, he says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. A ransom means to buy back, that we're in slavery, and he died to pay that penalty so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. That's the point of the cross. That's the meaning of the atonement. That's the reason for redemption, is that Jesus Christ came to free us. Do you see how, the, how costly this is? If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The reason why Jesus can say that is because he knows that he will pay it to the full, to the uttermost. He will provide the means for our freedom. And that's why, listen, that's why Christianity is the only hope for facing eternity. It's the only hope. It's why Christ is the only name. There's no, there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other name. There's no other redemption. And that leads to our third point in just looking at it from this third angle of seeing the greatest redemption. The greatest redemption. That through faith in Christ, all of Christ's benefits, all of the work that he did on the cross is given to us as a gift. You see, salvation, freedom from hell, cannot be earned by us. There's nothing that you could do to earn your freedom from hell. Christ earned it all. But you must receive what he has earned personally. Children, you hear this. Your parents can't do this for you. You must receive it personally as a gift. You must trust Christ in faith. You must believe in him. And then when you trust Christ in faith, you're united to him. You're joined to Christ. And all of his work on the cross is credited to you. All of your sins are blotted away. And so when you die, when you stand before God, or when he returns, you can stand before God knowing that you are sinless in Christ. You are forgiven in Christ. You are a saint in Christ. And that he declares you righteous. And that's why the gospel is called good news. It's, the, it's good news because you can know right now that you will not inherit hell but heaven. Paul says, Galatians 2.16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith in Christ. So you trust in Christ, and the moment that you trust in Christ, the moment that you believe on him in faith, the penalty of sin is done. Paul says this, Glorious words, Romans 8.1, Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Praise be to God. There's no greater truth than knowing that the penalty for your sin has been blotted out. It's the most freeing realization in the world that you live as a justified saint before God in Christ Jesus. Do you have that freedom this morning? Do you wake up every day knowing that your sins are forgiven in Christ because you've trusted him, that the penalty for sin has been paid for? Oh, that's the best. It, it's the best. It's, it's, it, to, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I know my future and I know that I am forgiven in the blood of Christ. 
because of his grace, because of his mercy. That's the joy of the Christian. Luther called it the freedom of the Christian. What's the freedom of the Christian? It's that you can skip through this world knowing that the penalty for sin has been paid for. Don't have to go try to, to earn it. Don't need to visit holy relics. Don't need to go to a church and do penance. It's been paid for. It's done. That's the penalty of sin. But moreover, in our experience now, Christ has freed us from the power of sin. The power of sin is overthrown. The power over our lives is done. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't battle against the flesh. We do. But it means that you are no longer enslaved to it. When you trust Christ, you are no longer enslaved to your sin. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new what? Creation. Old things have passed away. The new has come. Uh, this is Paul's argument in Romans chapter 6. He says, do you keep sinning that, that, that grace may abound? By no means. Don't you know who you are? That you've been buried with Christ, and now you've been raised with Christ to a new life. So live like it. You're no longer bound to your sin, that you have the capacity to fight back. You have the capacity to live a life that honors God. And I talk to Christians all the time. They're, they're living a life of immorality, living a life of hate, living a life gossiping, doing all sorts of sins. And, and the reminder is this, don't you know who you are now in Christ? That the power of sin over your life has been vanquished. You don't have to live that way. You shouldn't live that way. Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, Ephesians 4.1. And then finally, are we still surrounded by sin and evil? Yes, we are. We still live in a world with sin and evil. We're still in the presence of evil. We're still in the presence of death. Is that true forever? No. Our Lord will return. And when he returns, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, 26, that the last enemy to be, to be destroyed is death. That he, that he will vanquish sin forever, death forever, that we will inherit a new heavens and new earth. There will be no more sin, no more death, no more evil, and that we will enjoy the presence of God without sin. So all of it is undone. All of it is undone, even in our experience. The question is, the question is, it all goes back to, you can know what Christ has done here but have you trusted him in the heart? Have you trusted Christ in faith? And if you have, then you can know that there is no penalty for sin, that the power of sin over your life is vanquished, and that you will one day live where there is no more the presence of sin. But have you trusted Christ? Don't wait. I'm warning you. Don't wait. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a child. What does a child do? He, he believes her parent at her word. He believes his parent at his word. Trust God. He says, if you call upon the name of the Lord, I will save you. If you trust me, I will save you. Have you trusted Christ? Trust Christ. There's no other hope. There's no other name. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this 
glorious truth of the gospel, that those you have set free are free indeed. We thank you, Lord, for these glorious words, this truth, what freedom it brings, that the penalty for sin has been paid, the power of sin in our lives has been broken, and the presence of sin will one day be vanquished as we inherit a new heaven and new earth. I pray, Lord, for those here this morning who have not yet trusted Christ. I pray, Lord, that their eyes would be open to the truth, that they would escape an eternity of hell, and they would find an eternity of grace, of grace in you in faith. We love you, Lord. We trust you. We thank you for these glorious words, this glorious reality. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, information, and events, check out our website at capitalcommunitychurch.com.